You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Okay, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payments and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thanks, Dot. Lovely to be with you. Thanks for joining in at home in Green Lane. If you've got your Bible, do keep it open at Philippians 4. It is a passage rich with wonderful truths. Uh, Hopefully we'll dig in. I wonder, have you asked yourself during this past year, how does being a Christian help me during this pandemic? How does being a Christian help me during this pandemic? It's a question I've asked myself on several occasions. Because I believed, I don't know if you did, back in March 2020, that God would use this pandemic to wake people from the fact that life is fragile. 
I thought back in March 2020, the reality of heaven and hell would spare Christians to share the message of the gospel with those dying around them. And I thought back in March 2020 that we would see, or people would look at the church and see a bold and fearless people who with Paul's words to live is Christ and to die is gain would be part of the revival God would sweep across our nation. However, it's not been the case, has it? And why is that? Well, I think if we're being honest with each other, we have to admit that we've not been different from those around us during this pandemic. The sadness, anxiety, and discontent which has marked the world has unfortunately marked God's people too. And sadly, many of us would answer the question, how does being a Christian help me during this pandemic with... Mm, Not very much. You see, my prayer this morning is that as we hear God... He's going to encourage us to answer that question, how does being a Christian help me during this pandemic differently? This morning we're going to hear the call to rejoice in the midst of suffering, to find peace in an age of anxiety, and to learn a secret of contentment in a world drenched with discontentment. If you're new today, if you're joining us online or you're here for the first time, we're studying Paul's letter to Philippians. This uh, We've been doing that for the past five weeks under the title Lockdown. Now Paul was locked down in prison and it's really important we remember that he was in prison because what he's going to say is not abstract but it's in actual lived out reality for him. This prison was probably in Rome. We're probably in the year AD 50. He's writing to a church that he helped start in Philippi, which is in Macedonia. And Philippi was a colony under Roman rule, where hailing Caesar as Lord was the thing to do if you wanted to stay out of trouble. Now last week, Sam brilliantly reminded us that we as Christians are to press on towards heaven. And we are to look forward to the day when our lowly bodies will be made like his glorious body. And this passage is going to tell us that as we move towards heaven, we are to be a people marked by rejoicing, peace and contentment. Let me pray and then we'll look at each of these Christian characteristics. Heavenly Father, we come to your word now expecting to hear from you. Father, your word is living and active. It does not come back void. So we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help people come to trust in Jesus, maybe for the first time today, but you would deeply affect us all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, rejoicing in the midst of sadness. So Paul says, doesn't he, in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, December the 19th, 1998, was a dark day for many people. Now, let me just, you might think, well, what is that about? I don't quite remember December the 19th, 1998. Let me remind you. It was a cold winter's night in York. 2,000 optimistic Manchester City supporters had gone to watch their team play. Now, this wasn't the Mickey Mouse Cup where big teams played small teams. No, City were playing in the third league in England. 
On December the 19th, 1998, City lost 2-1 to York, resulting in them being 12th in the third division. To this day, this is City's lowest league position. Now, fast forward to the 13th of May, 2012, when 20 seconds into the 93rd minute, City snatched a lucky 3-2 win against QPR to deny the more successful Manchester team another title. This occasion was made famous by the Aguero! Screamed by Martin Tyler. This was City's first title in 44 years. Now, if you're a City supporter, then your feelings on December the 9th 19th, 1998, and May the 13th, 2012, are going to be completely opposite. From despair to delight, from gloom to gladness, from hopelessness to happiness. The outcome of these matches determined how City supporters felt. Now this is true for the rest of life too. If the circumstances in our life are good, that is, if we're getting on well with people, if we've got job satisfaction, if we're doing well in school, if we're feeling healthy, if we're doing something we enjoy, then that normally will result in us feeling joyful. And alternatively, if we've fallen out with someone, if we're under pressure from our boss or school teachers, if we've got COVID, if we're doing something we don't enjoy, then we're not going to feel joyful. Our life circumstances strongly dictate how we feel. Paul, however, he says here, doesn't he, in verse 4, Christians should be marked by rejoicing whether you feel like rejoicing or not. He said we should rejoice always, which means rejoicing regardless of our life circumstances. Now just bear with me for a second because I want to check your Bible is the same as mine because my Bible does not have a little asterisk after verse 4. And I've got a feeling yours doesn't. Because that little asterisk may lead to a footnote that says, of course, Chris, Paul isn't referring to you. You can be grumpy and miserable and sad and moody and annoying and irritated. This rejoicing is for everyone else. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Because if you're a Christian here today, if you're a Christian at home or at Green Lane, rejoicing isn't an option. It's commanded. And he says it twice in case we miss it. Now you might have some concerns at this point, so let me quickly address them. What Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying Christians won't feel sad or be depressed. In our home group this week, we learned that a third of the Psalms, 50 of the Psalms, are about lamenting. They're about sadness. They're about grieving. You will know yourself that there's a couple of occasions where Jesus is crying over the sin he sees in front of him. And also, there's people in the Bible who seem to struggle with depression. Thinking of David in Psalm 13 where he says, How long must I counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Moreover, Paul's not saying that Christians should have a, a fake smile on them and pretend life is great. Too often we're afraid of letting people see how sad we are because we've been told that a Christian must rejoice which we interpret as always seeming to be happy. Hello, yes, I'm good. How are you? 
So what does Paul mean then when he says, rejoice in the Lord always? I say it again, rejoice. Well, let me try and illustrate it for you. And you might have heard this story before, but I think it's helpful. Horatio Spafford was an American Christian married to a lady called Anna. They'd suffered the death of their four-year-old boy to scarlet fever. And a devastating fire had swept through Chicago, destroying a lot of Horatio's businesses. In 1873, Horatio decided the family should take a trip to England where his friend Dwight Moody was preaching. Horatio was delayed by business to send his wife and four daughters ahead of himself. And on the 22nd of November, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic, their vessel was struck by another ship. 226 people lost their lives. The ship sank in only 12 minutes. Sadly, all four of Horatio Spafford's daughters died. But remarkably, Anna Spafford, his wife, survived the tragedy. Those rescued, including Anna, who was found unconscious floating on a plank of wood, subsequently arrived in Cardiff. Upon arrival, Anna immediately sent a telegram to Horatio, which included the words, saved alone. Receiving Anna's message, Horatio set off at once to be reunited with his wife. On one particular day during the voyage, the captain summoned him to the bridge of the vessel. Pointing to his charts, he explained that they were passing over the very spot where his four daughters had died. It is said that Spafford returned to his cabin and wrote the hymn, It is well with my soul. In the hymn, Spafford writes, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. How do we rejoice in the saddest times? How do we rejoice when our life circumstances are crushing us? How do we rejoice as the people of God during a pandemic? We rejoice in the Lord and what he has done for us. We rejoice because Jesus Christ has died for our sin. Jesus Christ has taken the punishment that I and you deserve for our rebellion and rejection of God. Our sin has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Friends, can I encourage you, whatever feelings or life circumstances are producing in us, we can rejoice in the Lord and his glorious death for us. Do you see what a powerful witness this is to the world around us? In our pain and suffering, in our sadness and depression, we can rejoice. We acknowledge our feelings, but we talk about the joy we have in our Savior. Church, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. But what else does this passage tell us? Well, the second point is this. It talks about peace in an age of anxiety. Now, Paul here is repeating the words of Jesus in Matthew 6 when he tells us not to be anxious. You might be thinking, yeah, Paul, it's easier for you to say 
Okay, you don't know my life. I've got bills that need paying. My baby's not sleeping. My nan's still shielding. Work want me to go back into the office. And we're living in a global pandemic. Of course, I'm going to be anxious. Well, let's read the end of verse 5 to verse 9 to see why Christians should not be anxious, as Paul says. So the end of verse 5 says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. In that passage there that we've just read, there's three Ps why we should not be anxious. It's to do with presence, prayer, and peace. Let me just talk quickly about them. The first thing is this, that little phrase, the Lord is near. Commentators can't agree whether that goes with rejoicing in the Lord or do not be anxious. Personally, I think it makes more sense to to think about the do not be anxious, especially at the end of verse 9, we're told that the God of peace will be with you. So why is this God being present with us helpful when we're anxious? Well, think about a child. When a child is anxious, maybe they're, they're going to a new place for the first time. Maybe your child is anxious because they've got chemistry homework or DT homework or whatever it may be. Maybe your child is anxious because they're meeting new people. What helps your anxious child is normally if mummy is with them. Sometimes daddy, but it's normally mummy, isn't it? Why is that important? Because the presence of someone who loves you and the presence of someone who wants what's best for you helps with our anxiety. Paul is saying, do not be anxious because God is with you. The God who loves you, the God who is for you, is with you. So whatever you're facing, you do not face it alone. The second reason we shouldn't be anxious is because of prayer. You see, what's interesting is Paul knows we will be anxious. And he says, in these times of anxiety, we are to turn to God in prayer. Why? Because when we pray, we're reminding ourselves of some wonderful truths. Firstly, that we have a heavenly father who we can talk to as his children. Secondly, when we're praying, we're acknowledging our weaknesses and our need for God to help us. Thirdly, when we're praying prayers of thanksgiving, we're saying to God, God, whatever you give me, I'm going to be thankful for it. When we're praying, we're acknowledging that he is infinitely wiser, infinitely more loving than us. So the outcome that God chooses for us is going to be the best one. You see, our anxiety is helped in prayer because in prayer we're turning to our good and sovereign God. And we know that he is with us and working for us. So in our anxiety, we are to remember the presence of God. In our anxiety, we are to pray to God. And thirdly, in our anxiety, we are to experience the peace of God. Now, someone once described the peace of God as a sort of spiritual marshmallow 
That is that it's soft and sweet, but it doesn't really have any substance. However, when the Bible talks about peace, it couldn't be any more different. Think about it when Jesus comes back to the disciples in John 19. What's the first thing he says to them? He says, peace be with you. And he does that showing them the scars on his hands and on his side. What's that about? Well, he's saying to them, look, peace be with you. I have made peace for you. The wrath and condemnation that you should face because of your sin, I've taken it away. So you now have peace with God. So this piece is talking about the, it's talking about salvation. It's talking about reconciliation. When in Romans 16, we, we learn about the God of peace. That's in reference to God, uh, Jesus coming back and defeating Satan. So that piece is about victory. So it's not this soft, uh, insubstantial thing. Peace is salvation. Peace is reconciliation. Peace is victory. But peace is also what we know as shalom. That's the Hebrew word, and it means wholeness. So peace, it's more than just like, like this inner feeling. We do get that, and that's why many Christians will talk about, you know, I trusted in Jesus and I had this overwhelming sense of peace. That's true. But the peace that's talked about here is also an outward work in peace. It's a vertical peace with God. And it's a horizontal peace with one another. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the God of the universe is in us. He's working for us and he's committed to a life of us experiencing this wholeness. So again, when we have those times of anxiety, Paul's saying, remember God's presence. Turn to him in prayer. And that peace which passes all understanding will be yours. Now again, think about how powerful a witness this is to the world around us. There's that advert at the minute, isn't it? I think it's one for Google. And it talks about uh, anxiety coming out of lockdown. We are an anxious people. There's many, many things in this world that cause us anxiety outside of a global pandemic. And yet imagine if people saw us as people of peace. What a profound witness that would be to the world around us. We have a peace that transcends all understanding because it's a peace that comes from God. And it's a peace that comes only when God is with us. Church, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God is enough? Now I'm not talking about kind of medical anxiety that's different. We're talking about a, a general kind of worry, a general kind of anxious nature. God is saying we have him in us. We have prayer for us and God gives us this peace to help us. Do you believe that this morning? So, so far, this passage is telling us to rejoice in the midst of sadness. It's telling us to have peace in an age of anxiety. And third and finally, it tells us about contentment in a world drenched in discontentment. Now, here's a big statement, so you need to listen to this. Satan 
has replaced the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with right move. I know I need to explain that. Let me explain it. Now in Genesis 3, what happens is this. Adam and Eve are told they can have everything in the garden apart from one thing, that fruit. What does Satan do? Satan takes the fruit, the one thing they don't have, and he says to them, you need this because you are discontent. Have the fruit and it will make you content. Right move does exactly the same. You may have the most perfect house that you want. It is wonderful. It's your dream house. But five minutes on right move, and you do because you're only looking. I'm just seeing, just seeing what's out there. What happens? You take a look, and within those five minutes, you become inconsolably discontent. Why? Because you've seen that house with the slightly nicer bathroom. You've seen that house, haven't you? It's got one of those fancy kitchen diners that's all the rage. We get sucked in so easily, don't we? Social media is just as bad. No matter how many times we tell ourselves that the pictures are staged, that filters have been used, we fall for the lie that other people's lives are more interesting and fun than ours. So we become discontent. As God's people, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to be content in a world of discontentment. Now this isn't easy because what we're going to read now, twice you're going to see the word learned. So Paul has learned what it is to be content. So this gives us hope because if you're not content, we can learn, okay? So this is a process, this is something we're working towards. Let's just read verse 10 and try and pick this up. So Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last your, you, your concern, for, sorry, I, sorry, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So what's going on? Well, Paul had received a gift from the church in Philippi. And Paul rejoices greatly because they have shown him concern. Paul wants to make sure that he's rejoicing in their concern rather than the gift itself. And that's why he starts talking about contentment. Paul wants the church in Philippi to know that he's learned the secret of being content. Okay, Paul's content whether materially he's in need, he's hungry or he's in want. Paul is content if materially he has plenty or he's well fed. Paul's contentment comes from Jesus who gives him strength. Now, we've got to be honest, haven't we? This pandemic, for some people, it's been alright materially. People have worked all the way through. Uh, they've had a steady income. They've not been able to go away on, on big abroad holidays, so they've been able to save 
Amazon have got a direct line to their house, dropping parcels off each day, and the builders are in doing that nice kitchen diner that you've seen on Rightmove. However, we also know, don't we, that this pandemic has been hard on people financially. We've seen a steep rise in the number of people using food banks. The furlough scheme didn't seem to help everyone out the same. We've seen an increase in food, in petrol, in household bills too. Yet for both those with plenty and those in want, Paul says that contentment is found in Jesus where on earth is Paul getting that from? Well, we have to just skip back to chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. I'll read it to you there. This is what Paul says. This is the secret to contentment. He says this, verse 8. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's not a great afternoon for people wanting to play cricket, is it? Okay. <laughs> Just still awake. Good. Okay, he's with me. What's what's he saying then? Contentment comes through Jesus because Paul is able to say Jesus is supremely more glorious, surpassingly more beautiful, and strikingly more magnificent than anything else in this world. Why? Because it's only Jesus who's able to make us right with God. Why is that important? Well, Sam said it earlier, God is holy. God is righteous. We have been made to marvel and delight at God. But we've been told today already that we marvel and delight at other things, which in of themselves might be good, but they're never going to give us the eternal joy, peace and contentment that only comes through a relationship with Jesus You see, Jesus Christ, he came to this earth. He lived the righteous life that we could not live. And when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, a wonderful exchange takes place. Our sin is taken on his body. And we, if we come to trust in Jesus and repent of our sin, we receive his perfect righteousness. Do you know, friends, that when that happens, you change you are no longer guilty of your sin but innocent you are no longer unrighteous but you are righteous you are no longer outside of christ but you are in christ and that means that you are now part of god's family everything that god has for jesus christ he has for you and he has for me god delights in his son you know what god delights in you God is pleased in his son. You know what? God is pleased with you. God is giving his son all things. And you know what? He's given them to you too. God loves his son perfectly. And you know what? God loves you perfectly too. Oh, we are to enjoy the things of this world, but we are to enjoy Christ more. 
We are not to be discontent with what we don't have, but we are to be content with Christ who we have. And we learn the secret of this contentment as we look at Christ in all his glory, in all his beauty. Church, are we a content people? Have our conversations with people over a socially distant walk or over Zoom, have they been littered with how discontent our lives are? God's people are to be a content people because of what Christ has done for us and because of the righteousness he gives us that comes by faith. Church, can we learn this together? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let me just conclude and finish. Let us just finish with the question we started with. How does being a Christian help me during this pandemic? Well, hopefully you can say now, I trust in a saviour who died for my sins so I can rejoice in the midst of sadness. Hopefully you can say, I have the God of peace with me so I can have peace in an age of anxiety. And maybe you can say today, I delight in the righteousness that comes from Jesus so I can be content in every situation. If you're not a Christian today and you're thinking, I want to rejoice, I want this peace, I want this contentment, then can I urge you to stop right now, turn to Jesus, ask him to forgive you your sins, and ask the Holy Spirit to come in to your heart now. And church, can we at ECC ask God to help us to press on towards heaven as a people marked by rejoicing, peace, and contentment? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage. Father, it is so countercultural to what we feel and experience in the world at the moment. But because of Christ, we can rejoice. Because of Christ, we can have peace. And because of Christ, we can be content. By your Holy Spirit, help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.